is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. Podcasting to you from the seaside town of Edmonds, Washington, where I don't believe that Hillary Clinton is fun. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Tim Kilkenny. And from Hood River, Oregon, where I try not to think about Hillary Clinton unless I absolutely have to. I'm Andrew Hoffman. Good, a, a pithy response from the from the Mister Hoffman. I was. I wanted to go football. Man. Go football, there's, man. There's no dire- there's no direction. I just came up with that just now because I was remembering one of the stories that's in the secret folder. What's going on on football? What do you what do you, what do you want to say? You want to say where or, the Seahawks have barely defeated a Tony Romo-less Dallas Cowboys, and Matt Schneider texted me in the middle of the game, even though I had it on record and did not know the outcome. Is that what you're going to say? Uh, <laughs> but because uh, <laughs> that happened. Yeah. What's up, Matt? <laughs> um, Matt, that's why you don't have my cell phone number. <laughs> Text me, Matt. I'll give it to you. That's why not, not, not many people do. I'm notorious for watching everything on DVR. Me too, man. Uh, but fortunately, um, had caught up to live on the Oregon game because the DVR ran out in triple overtime so it was uh quite the Oregon Ducks game and yes Seattle survived and Ricardo Lockett is still alive so all that is good all that is very very good speaking of Ricardo Lockett and uh football fan non-football fans out there a guy took a pretty vicious hit in the middle of the field lay there motionless was eventually taken off on a stretcher uh it's kind of an interesting point i guess we could mention it now did we talk about the frontline uh episode of the concussion crisis um i don't know if we did or not on the yeah so yeah there is and i'll throw a link in the show notes but there is a uh it's a concussion crisis or concussion problem but it's a frontline uh, investigative report on the actually we can you can segue right into football especially considering one of the ones that you threw in here after this uh but anyway uh, they went and did a little bit of research about the effects of concussions on players and as a person who has been a football fan my entire life who played it from a very young age i always thought that uh it was all just overblown Turns out, uh, from after watching this documentary, I, I totally changed my mind on that. I don't think it's overblown. I think people should know the risks when they get their student or child involved in it or when people get involved in it. Um, and it did change my mind. You know, I remember when I was little, I'd be like, man, that guy got hit so hard. You know, there was even an ESPN. Uh, do you remember, like, just not four, five, ten years ago? Oh, it was only a few years ago. Jacked up? Yeah, jacked up. There's a series called Jacked Up. Man, you got jacked up. And now they're starting to realize that that these in, enormous hits are, are actually causing brain damage. Uh, well, they, they used to say, uh, he got his bell rung. Yeah, his bell rung. Yeah, yeah, he's seeing birds. Well, now 
with the concussions and everything else, it's and I start to I've I've changed my view on it quite a bit. I mean, I, I really have, and uh, this is all fairly timely because you're going to start seeing previews for a new movie coming out very soon uh, that features Will Smith as an African uh, doctor who uh, was kind of the leader on uh, the brain damage from concussions called CTE. Um, and he was one of the people who kind of brought out the idea and was, you know, of course, uh, derailed by the NFL, uh, one of the richest organizations in the world, especially in this country. Um, it's funny, in one of the previews I saw for the movie, the guy says, you're going after a company that has a whole day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting. Um, so anyway, that movie is coming out, which should be uh, sh- shed some more light on the NFL. Like I said, I've been a fan of football since I was a kid. I do still like the sport. I think I'm a lot more aware, though, of what uh, the effects and uh, risks are. And, and I might give pause if my child wanted to play, my unborn child wanted to play football. So with all that being said, well, and uh, just a couple add-ons to that. There's actually started, uh, Chris Borland was like a first or second year player and retired because of... Yes, that's true. That's right. Know, yep. He was cleared and everything to play, but he'd had a few concussions and had done his research on it and said, forget it. I'm done. Uh, he got his money, got his big contract, couple million, and was ready to, k- k- to keep playing and retired. Yeah, that's a very good, very good point. And has to pay back his signing bonus, and um, it wasn't that high of a draft pick. So he's, I mean, he's going to have to get a real job. He's not able to retire off of what he made from football, that's for sure. So an interesting decision. And uh, actually, Pete Carroll adopted what's now called hawk tackling as a response to rule changes uh, and what have you. And it, it, it's borrowed from um, rugby because they play rugby with no helmets, right? So right. they don't tackle using the helmet. So it's kind of the idea is you um, are looking for different points of leverage rather than just pounding someone with your head. So League of Denial. Yeah. And I encourage people to go to pbs.org, the uh – NFL's League of Denial subtitled the NFL's Concussion Crisis. And there is actually a page called Concussion Watch that shows so far this year we have 73 concussions. And it goes after, um, it'll actually show you by um, by, uh, position which which, uh, players have the most concussions. Hmm. Is it linebacker? Yes, you are incorrect. Mm. Linebacker is tied for second. You're never going to guess the first one. I'm shocked. Some Tim Kilkenny trivia. I played the position. Uh, either receiver or cornerback. That is exactly right. Cornerback. 18 <laughs> concussions so far this year. Cornerback. Uh, 10 <laughs> wide receiver. Um, anyway, <laughs> so we've kind of... Uh, I do think it's important, and well, there, there is a movie coming out, uh, and it's going to be huge. I can tell uh, it's coming out this uh, this uh, December. And the the NFL has already spent literally billions of dollars uh, paying out because of lawsuits related to this. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, as well as one of my childhood heroes uh, trying to cover up his death. Junior uh, Seau. Junior Seau, who was a linebacker for the San Diego Chargers for years, actually uh, shot himself, committed suicide, um, and shot himself in the chest, strangely enough, which is a very, very odd choice. Uh, many people suspect it's because he he suspected he had some sort of brain damage from mm-hmm. all of his concussions and he wanted his brain to be intact. And uh, since then, a legal battle has ensued for the rights to his brain. Uh, the African doctor, and I should just find out who this is instead of continuing to refer to him as the African doctor, uh, tried to get his uh, brain and was uh, was turned down. Uh, the NFL bought it and has not let anyone see it. So. Mm. That's interesting. Yes. Because uh, Junior Seau um, was at least a pr- very strong professed Christian. Mm-hmm. I remember, yep. you know, Sports Spectrum growing up was the, the Christian alternative to Sports Illustrated magazine, and he was in there a lot. So it was, um, and from people that knew him, I mean, it, it does sound like he, you know, just totally changed after his football career and um, it probably was some, some physical brain, da- brain damage that had something to do with that. Cause if there's anybody, I mean, he played forever. Yeah. 20 played years. In a, and was a very, he's not afraid to stick his head in there and hit somebody. So, yep. 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 So on a related story, let's do it. Um, Tim, there is a clip with this. Congress calls out pro sports teams for use of tax money. Okay. That new report set to be released tomorrow about those military honors at pro sporting events and your money. ABC's Jim Avila breaking the story this morning. An emotional staple of athletics in the post 9-11 world. Patriotism at the stadium. The presentation of our nation's colors. But Good Morning America has learned some of these tear-jerking moments honoring American heroes are paid acts of patriotism. The Pentagon buying on-field opportunities for military men and women to carry that giant flag at this Buffalo Bills game. Sing the national anthem at this Boston Bruins game. Even throw out the first pitch at three Milwaukee Brewers games or rappel down a rope at center ice to drop the puck at a Minnesota Wild game. These teams do a lot of good work. Uh, The problem is when activities like this are paid for by the taxpayer, it cheapens everything else they do. After what Senator Flake labels paid patriotism in the NFL was first revealed this spring, Congress demanded to see all the contracts between Major League Sports and the Department of Defense. The leagues and teams deny they charge for patriotic displays, saying these events were free add-ons to big marketing contracts. The Milwaukee Brewers, these were simply placeholder amounts. I don't think that that uh, explanation holds water. We have specific contracts spelling out uh, you know, $20,000 for a salute to the hometown hero, actually specifying how long something had to be on the jumbotron. Major League Baseball telling its teams to stop the practice. We've encouraged them to take steps to avoid any appearance that they're being paid for truly ceremonial patriotic activities on the field. 
Overnight, the NFL, in a letter obtained exclusively by ABC News, tells Congress it is ordering an external audit to see if claims its teams were charging for on-field patriotic displays are true, and if they are, the league says it will pay the taxpayers back. Robin? Oh, it's hard to hear that. Mm. It's hard to hear that report. Jim, thank you. <laughs> it's hard to hear. <laughs> what, what's up with the... He's breaking the story that we talked about months ago, man. <laughs> Well, it, it came out in spring, and now it's uh, now they're really starting to br- crack down on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There'll there'll be lots of cracking down going on. <laughs> so now it'll be like, okay, we're gonna buy um, ten million dollars worth of advertising, and you're gonna throw in this, this, and that, which is kind of what their excuse was. No, these are like add-ons. Well, that's part of the package. I mean, that, that's how you sell stuff. Like, hey, if you buy the X amount of advertising, not only are you going to get that amount of advertising, you're going to get an on-field event at, at such and such game. You know, I mean, that's. I mean, we um, already kind of knew this, right? Military people in uniform, sure, it's a small amount. They're being paid. They're there. Then they're there. Uh, maybe it's just a color guard. That's their whole job to do that. But like. If you look at the C-130s and these large planes flying over, I mean, all this, this is uh, this paid for by somebody. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, that is you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I like how, but, but did you catch in the story that the only possible way uh, that the these self-righteous Congress people they're demanding an audit of uh, the NFL teams, not of the Pentagon, because we know that the Pentagon cannot be audited. So there's there's the government that it, that oversees the Pentagon can't just say, "All right, let's see your audit and see if you're spending money on this." No, none of that. So awesome. Um, and one more on that theme. This is the the game actually I referenced before, the Oregon ASU game last Thursday. And um, I lived in Arizona for a while, and I was living there when Pat Tillman was killed. Um, and actually went to church with the guy who was his trainer. It was very, um, very close to Pat Tillman, and so. I thought this was a a good story because um, Pat Tillman was he was an interesting person. He wasn't, um, you know, like in most cases, the media portrayal of somebody isn't doesn't always match up with you know what they're really all about. So um, let's just a quick backgrounder for you know our Canadian or Australian listeners. Who's Pat Tillman? Pat Tillman was a very good. Um, but undersized football player who not only was a star player at ASU, but um, then played for the Arizona Cardinals and walked away from a multi-year contract to uh, join the military after 9-11. And, well, this... was very James Corbett-esque of you. You you summed it all up very quickly. Well, this... uh, And then we'll get to the, the rest of the story jumping off of this article, but uh, concerns about the Pat Tillman military-themed sports uniforms. 
Given the code with which Pat Tillman lived and the way he died, the new Tillman-themed shirts and sneakers by Adidas are very troubling. It's by Dave Zirin. On, I think it's a Nation Magazine article. When former NFL player turned Army Ranger Pat Tillman was killed in Afghanistan by U.S. troops, the Department of Defense deceived his family about how he died. It is still not ordered full disclosure about what took place on that tragic day when Tillman was felled by, quote, friendly fire. Now Adidas, in, conjun- in conjunction with the Pat Tillman Foundation and Pat's alma mater, Arizona State University, is producing camouflage shirts and sneakers in honor of the late Mr. Tillman. They're all part of Arizona State's Salute to Service unis to be worn on this Thursday night, which was last Thursday night. Yet their appearance and design raised serious concerns for those still inspired by the person Pat Tillman was and troubled by the manner of his death. The sneakers are called Dark Ops and are made partially of Kevlar, a material most closely associated with bulletproof vests. A glowing article about the sneakers made this unfortunate on-the-nose description. All throughout the cleats, you'll find helpings of Kevlar that help to make this year's lineup of cleats some of the most battle-ready yet. It then quotes the senior sneaker designer, Thomas Hardings, who said, Kevlar really brings it home for me and ties to the soldiers and the real sacrifice that goes on in the military. Bringing that story into footwear is a pretty big deal. An ESPN writer, uh, Kevin Gimmel enthused, awesome doesn't even begin to do them justice. And the game is on ESPN, by the way. <laughs> uh, anyone with even a passing knowledge of Pat Tillman's life and the manner of his death can think of some words other than awesome. As for the shirts there, jungle camouflage with a Pat Tillman quote on the back. The quote reads, passion is what makes life interesting, what ignites our soul, fuels our love and carries our friendships, stimulates our intellect and pushes our limits. And then it's got his... Uh, picture on the front, basically the the back of his football jersey. Um, They did not choose the words that Pat Tillman said when he was sent on multiple ranger missions in Iraq. This war is so effing illegal. I spoke with Rory Fanning, who served in the Army Rangers with Pat, and then walked across the country out of his own desire to raise money for the Tillman Foundation. I couldn't put words in Pat's mouth, but I can say that the camo being worn in Pat's name should be designed with burn marks, he said. That it wouldn't be shameless propaganda, but instead would call attention to the fact that Pat's uniform and diary were burned by the chain of command before his autopsy as they tried to cover up the true cause of his death. Maybe burned and tattered cleats could remind people that no high-ranking officers or members of the Bush administration were ever held accountable for the cover-up. That is the continual and Eternal inconvenient truth surrounding efforts to, to conjoin Pat's military with military salutes. Pat steadfastly refused again and again to be used as a propaganda tool for the war on terror. He did not want to see his fame used to spur others to join the service. He just wanted to be another soldier. Then, when Pat was killed by his own troops, the media, in the words of his mother Mary, ran with the perception they had of him, some kind of caricature of who they thought he was. I spoke to Mary in a 2008 interview, and she said that this caricature was so off that it was like he died twice. It was very offensive because people just jumped to conclusions. They never talked to him once. They never read anything about him. He definitely was not in favor of the war in Iraq. That is true, and that caused concern for us after he was killed. And when the information looked so suspicious and so contradictory, we were concerned that he could have been killed on purpose. Hmm. 
The Last Chilling Line by Mary Tillman is another part of this uni rollout that seems like someone's idea of a very twisted and altogether unfunny joke. Adidas is calling the shoe Dark Ops. The definition of a dark ops in military parlance is a mission that involves a significant degree of deception to conceal who is behind it or to make it appear that some other entity is responsible. The actual head of dark ops when Tillman was killed was Lieutenant General Stanley McChrystal. A stand-up individual. Yeah. Whom outed, uh, whom was outed by our favorite journalist, what was his name? I'm not remembering that. The guy who was killed. Oh, yes. When his Mercedes blew up. He wrote the, what the heck is his name? And... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So much of the obfuscation that took place after Pat's death, the burning of Pat's uniform and field journal, the separation and interrogation of all troops who were on the scene, has McChrystal's fingerprints on it. It was also McChrystal who approved Tillman's posthumous silver star, a medal given explicitly for combat, not friendly fire. Michael Hastings. Michael Hastings, yes. Um, even though McChrystal later testified that he knew how Pat died. As Pat's father said about McChrystal, I do believe that guy participated in a falsified homicide investigation. Uh, homicide being the key word there. Mary Tillman as well absolutely excoriates McChrystal in her book, Boots on the Ground by Dusk, My Tribute to Pat Tillman. Again, this was the head of Dark Ops, and this is what they decided to name the sneaker. But the main thing that's upsetting is, as I can say with confidence, having talked to numerous friends and family of Pat Tillman over the years, that he never wanted to be used to promote the military. Yes, I am aware that the press release says that the Tillman family was involved in the design of shirts and shoes, and I hope the Tillman Foundation, run by Pat's widow, Marie, is able to get the funds to continue its remarkable scholarship work. I reached out to the Foundation for comment, and uh, while we communicated, they did not want to add anything to this story. They wanted it known that the Tillman Foundation's mission... Uh, under Marie's leadership has been to invest in military veterans and spouses through academic scholarships. To date, uh, the Pat Tillman Foundation has invested over $12 million in academic support and named over 400 Tillman scholars at 108 universities nationwide. It is incredibly important work. It is also clear that raising that kind of financial aid comes with a price. Hmm. So that... I thought that was interesting. Absolutely interesting um, and disgusting. Yeah, taking a dead, a dead person's uh, likeness and making it into a sports uniform—that is, uh, well—and using it to as another like military advertisement, thing. right? To promote something that actually Pat Toma was totally against. And they didn't get into the uh, the details, but we've talked about them on our show before. It was a long time ago now. Um, and your buddy was a part of it, but he was he was shot twice at close range, and um, it's I, fairly clear to me he was killed to. Um, to avoid the PR fallout of having someone, even though he didn't want to be used, he was used left and right to promote uh, to promote the military and promote war. And if he came back and said, you know, this is an illegal war, this is a fraud, government's lying to you, uh, 
um, guess what would have happened? We we might have actually had a real anti-war movement in the country instead of one that that um, went away when Obama was elected. Sure. And uh, who was his point of contact here in the United States? Oh, Noam Chomsky. Your buddy. Yeah. Noam was the one he was telling. Yeah. Which you could tell Noam Chomsky anything, and it's between you, Noam, the CIA, the NSA, and probably military intelligence. And that's it. (laughs) That's it? Nobody else? Yeah, nobody else. So your neighbor won't find out. (laughs) No. Um, where do you want to go from there? School suspends six-year-old child. (laughs) Okay. There's a video with that, too. I don't know if you want to play it or not. A first-grade student is now serving a three-day suspension for pretending to shoot another student at recess with a pretend bow and arrow. WLWT News Fly's Emily Wood is live for us tonight at our Lady of Lords Catholic School in Westwood with reaction from the boys' parents tonight. Emily. Cherie, the parents of the first graders say they simply do not understand the punishment. They say the principal made a bad decision and they want to prevent any student from going through the same thing. According to the boys' parents, their six-year-old son was playing Power Rangers at recess last Thursday when he pretended to shoot someone with a bow and arrow. He says, yes, I was shooting at them like I had my bow and arrow, just drawing it and making a sound effect. Matthew and Martha Mealy say the principal suspended their son for the next three days. Friday, the principal sent a letter home to parents stating, I have no tolerance for any real, pretend, or imitated violence. The punishment is an out-of-school suspension. I can't stop him from having an imagination, and I'm not going to stop him from having an imagination. Children are supposed to pretend. The Mealy's say they spoke with the principal in person on Friday, but he would not change his decision. They also questioned the length of the suspension, saying it is unreasonable. I would imagine a a three-day suspension would be an act of physical violence towards another person, a threat of real physical violence towards another person not imagined. Page 18 of the Archdiocese Educational Policy Manual states, in cases where a student is suspended, these procedures must be followed. Written notification is to be sent to the parents and student indicating the reason for suspension. All right, that's enough, too. All right, so you get the idea. The mealy, kid, mouth, mealy mouths. <laughs> kid plays uh, Power Rangers and pretends to shoot another kid with the bow and arrow, uh, with an imaginary bow and arrow, mind you, and three-day suspension. And yet, um, and this is a Catholic school, even it's not even a public school. But we've heard, we've seen similar stories at, at public schools. But um, I guess get your kids out of public school and Catholic school. Is that the? <laughs> we have to add that on. It's like, well, the principal made a mistake. No, you made a mistake because you sent your kids to school, and you're not even talking about. I mean. Do you want that on your kid's record for the next 10 years that he was with the three-day suspension? 
I don't know. It's just crazy to me. Um, being a boy is really frowned upon in in school culture. I can tell you that right now. It's uh, boys are bad. <laughs> well, that might explain at least part of the reason I was frowned upon as a child. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, and again, it's very politically incorrect to, to say this, but there are gender differences. Wait a second. You, you know, I mean, my daughter uh, wanting to, like, play with dolls and wrap blankets around them. Like, we don't, we didn't socialize her into that and say, this is what you have to do. We know you want to play G.I. Joe's all day. I mean, it's just... I don't know. So, it's a very anti-boy um, atmosphere. She acted that way because you gave her the dolls <laughs> to play with. You made the conscious choice. Hey, I gave her the golf clubs to play with. And she she occasionally wants to, to play golf, but... There you go. It's more of a hockey swing at this point, not really a a golf swing. Oh, I got a perfect segue. Speaking of hockey swings or hockey sticks, huh? Huh? Nice. Huh? Huh? <laughs> you just killed it, but that's okay. <laughs> Mass gains of Antarctic ice sheet greater than losses, NASA study reports. The research challenges the conclusion... Uh, the conclusions of other studies, including the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, 2013 report, which says that Antarctica is overall losing land ice. According to new analysis by satellite data, the Antarctic ice sheet showed a net gain of 122 billion tons of ice a year from 1992 to 2001. That net gain showed to 82 billion tons of ice per year between 2003 and 2008. We're essentially in agreement with other studies that show an increase in ice discharge in the Antarctic Peninsula and the Thwaites and Pine Island region of West Antarctica, said Jay Zwally, a glaciologist with NASA Goddard, uh, Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, and lead author of one study which is published on October 30th in the Journal of Glaciology. Do you have a subscription to the Journal of Glaciology, Andrew? No, I don't, but I... Um I just lift, uh, you know, illegal copies online. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> makes sense. I mean, sometimes you just got a torrent, you know, because yeah. you just who can afford the the subscription to the Glaciology Journal. <laughs> Our main disagreement is for East Antarctica and the interior of West Antarctica. There, we see an ice gain that exceeds the losses in the other areas. Swally added that his team measured small height changes over large areas as well as large changes observed over smaller areas. Scientists calculate how much the ice sheet is growing or shrinking from the changes in surface height that are measured by the satellite altimeters. In locations where the amount of snow, new snowfall is accumulating on ice sheet is not equal to the ice flow downward and out to the ocean, the surface height changes and the ice sheet mass grows or shrinks. But it might take only a few decades for Antarctic's, and It might! Here, I love it. Antarctica, excuse me, but it might only take a few decades for Antarctica's growth to reverse. 
That's all you guys. It might, yeah, it, it might. It might. Global warming might be real. Yeah, Never, it, it might. Only it might just reverse in a couple. Anyway, the we can't uh, take that chance, Tim. The, the double. No one can have a job because of global warming. The double think in the comments section of that article is uh, worth the price of admission. It's like, well, it, it sounded a lot like the debt ceiling thing. Like, man, we're getting all these budget cuts. And it's like, really, there's no budget cuts. It's just that they're cutting the amount of the growth. And so that's what they're saying about this. Like, we're still losing. We're just not losing as much ice as we had thought previously. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moving well, right you know, along. I guess glaciers might grow and shrink depending on a number of variables that might not all be dependent on CO2. Worst hurricane in record. <laughs> okay political strategist hillary clinton is well do you want to go somewhere else first because that's another video you sure hit, hit, hit me hit me what do you want to, what do you want to do okay um the saddest little bush only four <laughs> iowans volunteer for jeb bush um, is this because I thought I put this story in, but I don't remember this version. Did you put this one in? I don't think so. Okay, maybe it they, just they looks a little it. different. Yeah. Okay, so I swear there's somebody that's like, uh oh, Revelations yeah. Radio News folks put this in their secret folder. <laughs> we might want to re redo the verbiage on this story. Yeah, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it. Um, it's written from a, like, Democrats are awesome, Republicans are lame standpoint. But uh, Jeb had 10 staffers spend hours upon hours making 70,000 phone calls to presum presumably conservative voters in the critical state of Iowa and ended up with a whopping four volunteers. Um, I am very... I, I'm not... I'm not totally convinced yet, but I'm hopeful that my prediction will be incorrect. And that Je it won't be Jeb Hillary? It won't be Jeb, yeah. But it'll still be Hillary, right? Uh, well, I mean, so far, nothing, none of the Democratic um, candidates look like they could challenge Hillary. At least the ones that have entered so far. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren. Or, I mean, there's others, too. The The media could all get behind one of the... You don't think Bernie can beat her? No. Bernie... Burned out, man. I'm burned out. <laughs> Burnedout.com Yeah. There's... <laughs> So what is the difference between a socialist and a Democrat? <laughs> That's a difficult question. Um, yeah, I... What's the difference between a, a warmonger and a Republican? Yeah. Or... The... Um, do you remember the clip that I was referring to, though? No. It's Chris Matthews, who's like all Democrat, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's got the, I believe, the um, one of the muckety-mucks of the 
the Democratic Party, and he asked her, so what, what's the difference? And it was like a softball question, you know, to give her a chance to say, like, hey, we're not socialists. There's... Um, and she's like, um, I don't, I don't really know. I don't, <laughs> I didn't, I don't remember that. Did, I guess we should maybe touch on the Republican, last Republican debate. It's kind of unprecedented in American, recent American history. Okay. I, I didn't watch it, but I didn't either, but they went after NBC. Like they went after the affiliate station. Oh, the uh, CNBC? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Which is interesting because I've never seen that happen. Like, here's a debate and they go after the media and, like, all, like, gang up and, like, say that they're being treated unfairly and this isn't what the American people care about and why are there such softball questions? Or, yeah. Well, and kudos to Donald Trump for being willing to go there. Um, And then... Kudos to the rest of them for, for jumping on, I guess. Did you hear Jeb Bush's, uh, well, I think we covered it last week, where he's like, I've got lots of other things I could be doing other than this. <laughs> <laughs> Vote for Donald Trump. Bro. Okay, so you were famous for actually quoting, I'm just not going to let you, I don't know if you're headed in a direction or a story, but I'm just going to keep derailing you. Uh, you're famous, at least in my mind, for a quote that said there's only one person in this country that thinks that Joe Biden could be elected president, and it's Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you're right anymore. Joe Biden did fill out the necessary paperwork to run for, for president. Yeah, but he... Yeah. I thought he announced he wasn't going to run, because he had no chance. I don't think he did. I don't think he's announced that. I think he's still parading his dead son as a... As a thing that he may use. Yeah. Because his dead son is a war hero. So the, the dead son is not the one who was who failed the drug test, right? That is exactly right. That so, guy. He might need guy. to kill that son off, too, if he wants the <laughs> enough sympathy. That's terrible. That's terrible. Uh, yeah. Now, this is the one that like, got the cush job in... Uh, uh, you, the Ukraine, or not in the Ukraine, but in Ukraine. Right, but he lost it because he failed the drug test for cocaine. Yeah. Which is in your system for like two days or whatever. So. <laughs> it's like a Come on, man, I can't go two days without cocaine. It's like a, It's got like a 72-hour half-life. <laughs> Hello, world. Uh, yeah, so no, you know, no, no Joe either? No, definitely no, Joe. I got, I got, I got excited. uh, I got excited Seattleites at coffee shops talking about the burn. I'm just gonna keep throwing that out there. Well, yeah, I mean, he, I don't know. Socialism's a good idea, right? He's a terrible public speaker, though. I mean, we've had all these like Republicans, and they've ruined everything. So socialism's like it's like good, right? If you care about people, it's good, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. um sure do you remember do you remember a long time ago when i went to the iraq veterans against the war meeting and i talked about the red revolution fight like an egyptian like yeah. the, there was a lot of like really le- far left leaning and you know stickers that said fight like an egyptian after the color revolution stuff like mm-hmm. that i think we're still headed in that direction like a 
uber socialists. Well, m- maybe the, I mean maybe the I think they're... millennials lean socialistically. Yeah, there's millennia. I mean, there's also lots of libertarian millennials as well. But they don't get any press coverage. I mean, come on. They they don't really even exist. Well, you know what they say. If you're... I forget what what famous politician said it, but he said if you're... If you're not a liberal uh, in your 20s, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative by the time you're 40, you have no brain. So, yeah, there you go. And we say neither a liberal nor a conservative. Maybe you should. You know what? You know what we try say. A, try a biblical worldview. <laughs> you know, it's a bunch of power hungry, evil, demon possessed, <laughs> and influenced Cretans trying to drag everyone to hell. <laughs> You know what we really say on Revelations Radio News? What do we say? We say, you know what the difference between a libertarian and an anarchist is? Uh, a few good books. About three years. <laughs> there you go. All right. I have to read it. I cannot take it anymore. It's time to, to do it. Are you ready? Okay. Is this the Hillary Clinton one? Yes. All right. I did. I purposefully did not go in and read it just so I could enjoy it. So are you ready? So I'll read, I enjoy I'll read, it. I will read enjoy it. it live with the should, should you read it? You're the better reader here. Should you read it? Will you enjoy it as much as if you read it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do it. I can I can read out loud and understand what I'm reading at the same time. I can't. It's clear. <laughs> just ask anyone who listens to this show. I'll at least read the title and where it came from. Of course, it is from The Onion. It's a yeah, satirical story, people. Satirical, but... Our our audience is, not, they're not suckers for the fake news, but <laughs> yeah, I um, am fun. All right, I am fun. I enjoy fun. I both have fun, and can be fun. Fun is a word that accurately describes me in a large quantity of things of which I am fond. I appreciate fun when I encounter it, and I have even been known to partake in activities that produce fun. For myself and others, fun is something I often have when amongst a group of people. In such situations, I am capable of amusing others and, in turn, of being amused by them. Thus, I am a fun person. Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Ding, 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 ding. Perhaps it would be helpful for me to provide an example of a fun thing I do. I take part in levity. I enjoy jokes. Which are fun. When the occasion presents itself, I've been known t- to make jokes of my own, thereby creating fun for those around me. Usually, however, they're written by scriptwriters. Oh, sorry. Uh, this is because, like many other people I encounter, I have a sense of humor. A sense of humor is crucial to having fun and to being fun. When situations are humorous, I signal my recognition of the fun by laughing, just as you do, just as most people do. Don't think I'm an alien because I don't sweat. That's <laughs> uh, not in there. Just a little joke there. 
Although stating that I am fun and that I like fun establishes these qualities of my character sufficiently, I can also cite several instances in which I have demonstrated my fun side in public forums. I have been fun on broadcasts of late-night television programs. I have been fun on multiple social media platforms, wherein I can also be witness taking a carefree approach to life. If you have observed me in one of these settings, you have likely already concluded that I am a fun individual. Furthermore, as indirect evidence of the fact that I have a fun disposition, I do not like things that are not fun. Among my activities and areas of interest, I have identified several that strongly indicate I possess the quality of being fun. They are as follows. Recreation, smiling, entertainment of all kinds, meeting people, local sports teams, mainstream popular culture, my friends who are numerous and include Diane Feinstein, Colin Powell, (laughs) Tim Geithner, and Tony Blair. Fun books, travel, exercise, chatting. Being a grandparent is fun. It is also a way in which I am similar to others. This is a fun topic through which I can connect with many people. My grandchild's name is as follows. Charlotte. Did I mention that I enjoy free time? Free time is when I generally have the fun I have mentioned above and when I am the most fun myself. That is not to say I am not fun at other times, because I can be fun in any context as long as it is not inappropriate to do so. But I have found that free time is among the best times for fun. Do you agree? Perhaps this is yet another way in which you and I are similar. You have seen how fun I can be, and that I do not take myself too seriously. Because of this, I am relatable. I have completed my argument, but I would like to reiterate the fact that I take pleasure in having fun and being fun, just like the majority of Americans, Americans such as yourself. Now that I have represented adequate evidence for the existence of my fun, accessible nature, there will be no need to revisit the subject going forward. Thank you. I am fun. (laughs) There you go, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Such a likable, fun person. She's so fun. Hey, which... Man, it's like we planned out our show today. Uh, Now's a good time uh, for something not so funny more uh, not funny because it's true the uh, political strategist Roger Stone which I've heard of him but um, separately I've heard and seen strong evidence for just about every single one of the claims he makes in this interview uh, despite Larry King like laughing hysterically like he thinks the guy is crazy half the time so uh, do you want to play that interview? I would say it's it's way too long to play the whole thing, but the, just the first couple minutes. And this is on, on which one? I'm sorry. Political political strategi- strategist right. okay. Hillary Clinton okay. is an abuser of women and girls. That's what I thought. So let's talk about your book. Sure. Tell us what's about well, in I, that the reason, the reason I wrote the book is really quite simple. It's because the narrative of Hillary Clinton's campaign, that she has been an advocate for women and girls is just bogus. She is, in fact, an abuser of women and girls. How so? How so? Well, as, uh, as uh, Joanne Vernocci, who is a feminist uh, writer for the Boston Globe, has written, Bill is a sexual predator, very much like Bill Cosby. I tra- tracked 27 William- women that he has either assaulted or raped. I'm and not they, talking about... They've, wow. never, they've raped? never come forward? Well, many of them have. You That's know, a pretty heavy accusation, rape. He, he drugged them? No, he doesn't drug them. <laughs> uh, he, but he does attack them. He does assault them. And you know some of these names. You know Juanita Broderick. You know Kathy Willey. You know uh, Paula Corbin-Jones. 
who he paid $850,000 in a settlement for, but you don't know Liz Ward Grayson, Eileen Wellstone, Becky Brown, Helen Dowdy, Dorothy Kyle Browning, Christy Zercher. This list goes on and on and Roger, on. Roger, if he ran today, he'd be reelected. Well, that may be, but the election's not tomorrow, Larry. And I, I, and I want to stress, my book's not about consensual sex. In other words, if I wrote a book about his girlfriend's mistresses, one night stands, it'd be an encyclopedia. You wouldn't be able to carry it. I'm focusing on sexual abuse. And then sadly, in all honesty, Hillary's not just an enabler, but as I, I think, prove in the book, she's the one who hires the heavy-handed private detectives who, who wage a veritable terror campaign against these women to silence them. Jack Palladino, Anthony Pelicano, Ivan Anthony's Duda. been in jail for seven years. Yes, he has. And he's worked for them when he was governor. He worked for them when he was president. So how does it work? She finds out something happened, and take us through the process. I, I think that uh, what ha- let's take Kathy Willey. Kathleen Willey is an active Virginia Democrat. She and her husband are very active in the Clinton's campaigns. She's a volunteer in the Clinton White House, working in the social office. Her family has financial problems. She makes an appointment to see the president, who she knows very well, and what she gets is groped. She gets assaulted. He tries to kiss her. He tries to put his hands inside her bra. Uh, She flees, uh, and then that's the good news. Shortly thereafter, her uh, her home is broken into and ransacked. Her windshield is smashed. Her car tires are slashed. Her Her pet cat, Thunderbolt, is strangled and left on the front step, dead. Her children are threatened. She's out jogging. A man jogs up to her all dressed in black. She picks him out of a lineup, Jack Palladino, and he says, How's your cat? Did you ever replace that cat? How are your kids, Johnny and Sally? You know, we know where they go to school. You're not getting it, are you? Yeah, and... Uh, so Pal- you're saying, Roger, they're criminals. Yes, I am saying that. Palladino makes the mistake of sauntering into an L.A. bar, seeing a beautiful woman at the bar, starts chatting her up, and he, he says, yeah, I saved Hillary's ass. The only thing that I'm upset about is she didn't pay me more and she didn't pay me on time. Unfortunately for him, the woman was a reporter. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think that I can make a very strong case, but it goes beyond that. Hillary talks about... Uh, pay inequality for women. Really? No place where she's the boss have women ever been paid as much as men. Not the State Department, not the U.S. Senate, not, well, the, not the Clinton Foundation. In, in, in government jobs, she doesn't control the pay scale. Well, uh, she no. certainly controls it at the Clinton Foundation, despite the fact that they, which is really a slush fund for grifters, not really a charity, eight out of ten dollars going to, sub, to uh, subsidize the lifestyle of the Clinton's uh, five-star hotels, corporate, uh, private jets, cut flowers, a the charity whole thing. can't spend 80 percent on itself. They, they, you're exactly right. They can't, but they are. So why hasn't anybody pulled their IRS well, they're, status? They're audited. Yeah, exactly. And their audits are fraudulent. Uh, there are numerous uh, mistakes in them or non-disclosure. That, you're going to read more about Roger, that I shortly. Ask, Roger, I know you a long time. Yep. Have you ever investigated a Republican? Oh, absolutely. I have a Name book. one. Uh, I have a book coming out in January called Jeb and the Bush Crime Family. <laughs> Prescott <laughs> Never, Bush. Never, nothing stops you. Prescott Bush. Prescott Bush, fun. making his money arming the Nazis. Making his money on a steel mill uh, that uses slave labor from Auschwitz. George H.W. Bush, trafficking as vice president, overseeing an operation that traffics millions of dollars of cocaine into the United States to sell. (laughs) Roger. Uh, Why do you act like he's crazy? (laughs) I mean, this all... Roger Morris wrote this story for the Washington Post. The fact that the the government was trafficking in cocaine to sell, to to raise money to illegally arm the Iran-Contras... 
after the Congress cut off their funding is uh, that's not in dispute. That's a fact. So who do you like, Raj? <laughs> I like Donald Trump. No, I, I, I really like I want somebody outside the, the mainstream. I, at this point, I'm not even a Republican anymore. I'm actually a registered uh, libertarian. I, I was raised in the old Republican Party of Barry Goldwater. Small government, out of your bedroom, out of your business, out of your life. Now, sadly, to me, both parties are the same. The Wall Street Party, the, the party of endless war, the party eroding our civil liberties, reading our emails, tracking our phone calls, massive debt, more borrowing, more spending, more debt, piling so on our grandchildren. Trump is the only one who can stop that. I, the only one I see out there. I mean, look, I, I find Bernie Sanders refreshing. I think he is, I really believe that he believes what he's oh, saying he in his heart. He's, you know, I don't agree with him on much. But he is an outsider, and I do think he would change things. Unfortunately, an 85% tax rate, particularly for you, Larry, would be very tough. <laughs> yeah, I- I'm not going there. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do you think, Roger, that I'm leaving. I'm, I'm leaving the country. <laughs> you want to investigate her, Roger? The truth about like- Sean King. <laughs> Maybe it could be my next book. Who knows? <laughs> Doubtful. What is inside of you? Is it, you don't... I interviewed Martin Savage today, you know, very wild right-wing guy mm-hmm. who thinks that... Is that it? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah, I was, was going to jump in, so... Okay. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, if you're a libertarian, there's no way you could support Donald Trump, but anyway. Well, the most important thing I got out of that interview, I mean, do you, do you want to go ahead and add what you were thinking? No, go ahead. It wasn't going to be a real thing. Oh, well, no, I'm just saying, I mean, we've talked about it before on the show, how Bill Cosby all of a sudden is, you know, enemy of the state. Um, and it sounds like legitimately so. I mean, he, he sure. did do horrific things. Interesting that he was able to uh, get no media coverage on it so long and then... Um, I kind of wonder if he was all pro Obama and pro everything else, if if all that stuff would have come out. But um, anyway, and then you've got Bill Clinton, who just is documented of a history, and uh, James Corbett's gone over that in his in his podcast. Um, it's just as well documented as with Cosby, and yet nary a word in mainstream media about that. I, I, that was one thing I liked about the interview just there is Larry King says, if he ran today, he would get elected. And it's like, like that makes it okay. It's like, oh, cool. So they, all that stuff. Well, are was, you saying like if, if we could reincarnate Hitler, Germany would vote for him all over again and that makes it okay? They I would, don't know. They would do it all over. <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what the argument is there. <laughs> I mean, it'll, he'd win it again. He'd win it again. What I, what I got out of the interview really was, uh, I just, I had this irresistible urge to hear the worst interview ever, which would be when uh, Larry King inter- interviews um, Henry Kissinger. <laughs> it, would, it would be nothing. I don't think I can do it. Not nothing but a growl, growling from both sides. What do you think about North Korea? I think that North Korea. <laughs> You have to say New World Order. I think that this just is a good chance for the New World Order. 
Oh, too growling. He probably, ha- he probably has interviewed. I'm sure. I'll, 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 I need to find that, and uh, that's uh, that's my my goal to find that and listen to two two elderly men growl at each other for. And this. I, I mean, Larry King is genuinely a, a talented interviewer. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But you could tell, like the uh, the bias, the I unbelievable think, well, bias. I think He's, the cognitive dissonance, like kicking in. You know, like, oh, it can't be true. Have you ever investigated a, theory a Republican? Oh. Uh, yeah, I just investigated the Bush family. Oh, yeah. oh, oh crap. <laughs> and he's like, what about when they were uh, bringing in drugs for the Iran-Contras? Oh. He just like, Larry King just like started laughing. Yeah. Did you read that? Yeah, the Dark the Dark Alliance book? I mean, it just goes into that yes. in great yeah. detail. It's it's not it's not really up for uh, up for a uh, debate. Well, neither is the fact that uh, office fires didn't really knock down Building 7, but it's all, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, what um, you can make a case for and what most people's perception is based on mass media are two totally different things. But. Right. Uh, I threw this one in here real quick. Obama bans hire- hiring bias against ex-cons seeking federal jobs. Ha! Next story. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's ridiculous. He bans a hiring bias. So we have the highest rate of incarceration, which he goes into in his little crappy speech here. The highest rate of people incarcerated, the highest rate of people uh, that are prosecuted for nonviolent crimes, the highest rate of, uh, con- you know, uh, convictions for non, you know, for nonviolent related offenses. Yet, now he's going to pass a law that says that hiring bias is illegal against hiring ex-cons. Um, we've shared my past a few times on this show. I've been in trouble in the past. Had uh, some issues in my, in my 20s that I got in trouble with the law. There is no way that a hiring bias becoming illegal is going to change anything for any ex-cons anywhere. Uh, true that. I mean, there's already federal programs that, um, will pay part of the salary of ex-cons and it's still, it's, they still won't, they won't, they don't get hired. Trust me. Just, just believe me on that folks. I mean, go investigate for yourself, find an ex-con, speak to him, ask him how this hiring bias thing is helping him next. I think I could just could have laughed and moved on, but I had to explain myself. So again, ha. Well, I th- you can make an argument too, because most stuff. Well, and I don't know how do you say, like, oh, I mean, it's very easy not to hire someone oh, if absolutely. you've got if you've got a job with, um, you know, well, uh, here twenty I'll- applicants. It's very easy if you could still find out whether they're an ex-con or not. I'm going to do my best to kind of to, to, to share without sharing too much personal information here on this international forum. Uh, I recently switched jobs, so I will not be working for one car dealership. I'll now be working for another one. I know the guy who runs the dealership. He let the, the bureaucracy run its course. And of course they came back and said, Hey, what about all this? And I had said, Hey, this is what it was. I explained it to him. 
And had I not had that inside track, I think my chances for getting the job would have just plummeted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still came out, even though it was almost a formality. I still had to sit and wait for someone to say, oh, hey, we got something here. And uh, it's especially in my case, since it's actually all traffic related, uh, you know, for someone that's going to be driving cars, it was a little bit stressful. Uh, but it was stressful for me. And I know the guy who ran the business. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, I, I can't, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's eye opening because I, I really have not been in trouble in, uh, 13 years, <laughs> 13 years. Um, and my offense is not that bad. It's not drug related or violent. Um, yet it still comes up. So yeah. I cannot imagine if it was drug related or violent and it, and it was even half that long ago, eight years ago, still dealing with this. I mean, it's just, which is why, uh, you know, prisons are basically colleges for career criminals. So you, you're putting someone in there and when they get out, that's kind of their only option. Yeah. I mean, maybe a minimum wage job somewhere, maybe some government program thing or something, but um, you are you're training them and only equipping them to <laughs> to to do worse things than they did in the first place to get them into jail. And it and it keeps them from being able to contribute. I mean, that's all I'll say. It just keeps them from being able to get a real job and being able to contribute. You know, you got to take a urine analysis to get a job here. Awesome. Where do I go? You have to, we're going to run a criminal background check on you. Okay. Let me, mm-hmm. exp- let me explain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because that's, that's where I got to start. And, and then, I, you know, I, I, I happen to be in a situation where I might be able to get some of the stuff expunged. I'm going to try and work on some of that, but that's going to be an expensive and lengthy process that your average con- ex con who doesn't know the person who's hiring him directly is not going to have the chance to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so it just that's just a, it's a ridiculous story. You know. And and meanwhile, we've got someone who hired people to go intimidate sexual abuse victims <laughs> on a regular basis and she's not disqualified from being No, she's the running president for, of, of no, the country. she's running for president. Exactly. Yeah. So. All right, uh 18 CEOs call Bernie Sanders for taking money. Is that what it's for? This was sent to me on Facebook from someone who said, put this in your burned out folder. There we go. Um, well, I don't, it's a, it's a pro Bernie Sanders article, but, um, kind of ironic because he's all like, uh, I mean, he, he calls out the bailout stuff, which is good. You know, the bailout was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but outsourcing of jobs was all trade deal related. And the, the big trade deals have gone through under Democrats and, um, actually been supported by the unions. So, well, in some cases. 
as Al Gore said, it's a good deal, Larry. It's a good deal, Larry. And, Good and then deal. this other story that was in here, uh, it's kind of funny. So the title is New Bombshell Investigative Report Ties General Boykin to Military Intelligence Use of a Christian Aid Organization in North Korea as a Funded Cover. And I, I have to admit, when I saw you throw that into the secret folder, my first thought was, man, we should send this to uh, Dr. Future. And it was Dr. Future. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Man, he should really put some of this stuff... Like, assemble it all. So, um, and yeah, the Humanitarian International Service Group, uh, which was founded the day before the 9-11 attack. Interesting. Um, <laughs> but supposedly the people on the ground didn't realize that this was happening. Which um, I would be quite upset if I found out because if North Korea finds out first you might be in a labor camp the rest of your life well you yeah, know right um, ugh. and so uh, long story short and you should go read the the Dr. Future report on it um, the Pentagon funded this supposedly Christian humanitarian organization in order to gather intelligence about North Korea. And this is the reason Putin kicked all the uh, yes. non-governmental organizations out of Russia. Yep. Probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it, it doesn't, there's, a, and I've talked about this before, I know we've mentioned it, but isn't there, isn't there ties to the Bolshevik revolution that were spawned by by non-governmental organizations uh, in Russia in the first place, where uh, big business from the U.S. went over under the cover of medical aid and uh, helped start a revolution. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The Bolshevik Revolution as financed by Wall Street, something to that effect. Which, what do you think, uh, Doctors Without Borders, where do you think they went wrong? Why... Why does our military feel the need to to bomb keep hospitals? bombing their hospitals? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's just uh, it's a it's a mystery to me. They're, are they helping ter- the so called terrorists that are, are being bombed? I mean, is, is that what they're doing? Well, I think the idea is that they help whoever comes into the hospital. Right, but I mean, if you're, I mean, I don't, I don't know. If you're a the- thought criminal. From the United States going into. Yeah, we'll bomb your hospital for hours and hours and hours, even after you call and complain about it. We're an exceptional nation, Andrew. Yeah. I, don't, I don't appreciate this. I don't know if you know, but Doctors Without Borders hospitals being bombed is not what we're about. We're about enormous American flags that cover entire football fields. Football and, field size. Where did those flags come from, uh, by the way? China. <laughs> We're also into Kevlar camouflage football cleats. Yes. Being worn by a bunch of uh, unpaid college athletes who, whether they make the NFL or not, will probably have brain damage for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Probably have CTE. And then thanks for reminding me to go back to our first track. We have come full circle. Dr. Bennett Amalu. 
Oh, that's the name. Okay. That's his name. He is the one who uh, started to investigate CTE, the brain damage. Uh, a forensic pathologist, Am- Amalu, conducted the autopsy of Pittsburgh Steelers center Mike Webster, which led to the discovery of a new disease that he named chronic traumatic encephalopathy. In- Probably encephalopathy. In, yeah, encep- encephalopathy, or encephalopathy or CTE. He is currently the senior medical examiner for the San Quayan County. Qu- San Quin? San Quin County? I don't know. I'm not looking at what you're reading, so it's, yeah. that makes it tough. <laughs> it makes it tough? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I don't understand why it's hard. <laughs> what don't you understand? <laughs> All right. Well, there, there you go. There's his his name, Doctor Ben Amalu, UC Davis Department of Medical Pathology Laboratory Medicine. He spoke to Frontline's Michael Kirk on March 25th, 2013, and the concussion crisis continues. Andrew Hoffman. We want some closing, closing words. I would I would appreciate it. I think the listeners at home. I should every, I should like every week when they uh, they go about their week they they wake up Monday morning thinking I don't know what I'm going to do this week but I do know sometime soon I will get words of wisdom to carry me through the rest of the week. I should actually think about this beforehand. Yeah, but I mean, or we could even turn it into we can make a Twitter account for just your words of wisdom. I'll type them up into it and tweet them out every week. <laughs> Andrew Hoffman's words of wisdom. Don't don't ask your three year old daughter if she likes you or her blankie more. You may not like the answer. <laughs> True story. There. I could just I could just I could create a Twitter account and tweet it all out as as we go. Yeah, yeah. I might I might just do that. <laughs> so <if> we. <laughs> I'd like to hear from our listeners if they want to see an Andrew Hoffman words of wisdom Twitter account. There we go. Well, I'd, yeah, we've got a video of her singing ABCs and uh, Jesus Loves Me. So, all good stuff. Awesome. She makes her own changes to things, which it's kind of interesting the way a little, um, like, language development works. I mean, if, if you if you tell her, like, you should say... Um, please may I have my vitamins? She'll reply with, may I please have vitamins? Hmm. Like she'll switch the order of the words around, which it's interesting that she doesn't either. And I don't know if she's just strong-willed and doesn't want to say the exact thing I asked her to say, or if it just, she knows that it means the same thing. (laughs) Maybe she's a chip off the old block and she's like, constantly questioning authority like i'm not gonna repeat it like that i'm gonna say it like this yeah it's a pretty good bet to if you want her to do something you've got to make it think it's her make her think it's her idea so but she now she phrases things like that herself like maybe i'll have a cookie (laughs) maybe Maybe daddy wants an apple. Maybe daddy wants to share an apple. Things like that, you know. So. I like it. So, 
your words of wisdom for this week are? Um, oh, well, I would like to wish everyone a good rest of their lives because I'm traveling to the Oregon coast this weekend. And if the big one hits, you know what that means. <laughs> That's right. Everything west of I-5. Gone. It's gone. So I will be west of I-5. Um, if it does happen, I hope it's at the end of the weekend and not the beginning. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And for, and also for a point of reference for everyone out there, I live directly west of I-5. Right. In that case, they're all the time. It wouldn't be Tim finding a new co-host. It'd just be, there's no more Revelations Radio News. The only thing that lives on is someone randomly posts words of wisdom to Andrew Hoffman's Twitter account (laughs) once a week. And someone can take over burnedout.com and make it into something special. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com, and thank you for your support of this podcast. Don't you say- There's always more football, Tim. That's the great thing about America. There's always more football.